before I went to Excel at Bradford, I caught the train to Manchester. Uh, Sam, if you can have a picture up there, to meet my new lad. Hey! And the baby's cute too, isn't he? Um, yeah, that is baby Benaya. And uh, as it happens, I'm speaking today about a character in the Bible called Benaya. I'm not doing it because of him. I'm doing it because, but it fits, doesn't it? It works. Anyway, Judith is up in Manchester at the moment doing grand parent duty. She's up there till next Thank you. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> She's coming home on Thursday, but uh, now all is well. So I want to read to you from 1 Chronicles. You better take that down because that's going to really, really distract people. 1 Chronicles 11, and it says this. Okay. Verse 22. This is talking about mighty men that King David had working with him and serving him and and it says, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down an Egyptian who was five cubits tall. That's about seven and a half feet. Big lad. Although the Egyptian had a spear like a weaver's rod in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He too was as famous as the three mighty warriors that were mentioned earlier. He was held in greater honor than any of the 30, but he was not included among the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. I'd say good choice. Wouldn't you? If he could do all those things. Now, now for a long time, this has been one of my favorite characters in the Bible funnily enough. When I say my grandson's called Benaiah, they say, what? I tend to say Ben, actually. It's less, com it's less complicated. But Benaiah, a lot of people haven't heard the name, but he's in the Bible, and I have spoken about this man before, but this is different. The name Benaiah means God builds up. That's a great name, isn't it? A great meaning. God builds up. And he was highly regarded, as we've just read there, as a mighty man serving God under King David. He was a mighty man. That's what he was. But I want to make this, emphasize this, that what he was is something that he became. Once upon a time, when Benaiah, this Benaiah was born, he looked like the Benaiah that you've just seen on the, on the he was a little baby with all the potential and all the future ahead of him. But what he became was a process. Just as what we are becoming is a process. I, I went on about an advertisement last time I spoke to you, but have you seen that advert about the Royal Navy? And what happens is this. They, they, what they're saying is that the Royal Navy will, will make you into something special. We give you a trade, we give you a purpose, blah, 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 and all this sort of stuff. And the, the, the slogan is this, somebody it says that, oh, I, you know, I was born in, we'll say Sutton. I was born in Sutton and I joined the Royal Navy and it's done this and that. And the slogan at the end is this, born in Sutton but made in the Royal Navy. Good, clever, isn't it? Do you know what? 
We were born wherever we were born, but Jesus is making our lives into something that he has a vision for. We might have been born in a bad state. We might have been born in a dysfunctional family. We might have been born in awful circumstances, but it doesn't matter where we were born. It's what we're being made into and what our lives reflect and what we become. And Jesus has a, a, he has a vision for our lives because we are all works in progress, developing and becoming what God sees in us. There was some, I can't remember, I, I tried looking it up, I couldn't find who it was, but there was some sculptor chap who there was a big lump of rock and his mate could only see a lump of rock and then this fellow said, you know, I, you see a lump of rock but I can see a beautiful sculpture that's trapped inside. You know, because he knew what he was doing with a chisel. And you know what? Whatever God looks at in you, whatever anybody else sees in you, God sees something inside that he wants to fashion, that he wants to make out of the block of your life. You see, Benaiah was a mighty man of valor but he didn't start life like that. He grew into that through faithfulness, through serving, and through being what God wanted him to be. Even Jesus, you know, started, we, we're gonna have, we've got Christmas coming, so it's rumoured. And that's when we remember that Jesus came as a baby. Do you know, when he was lying in the manger, I, it shows you how kooky my mind is. When I was younger, I used to think that Jesus was laying there thinking, I'm the son of God. Of course he wasn't, he was a baby. He was a baby when he was hungry, when he needed changing, he cried. But as he grew, the father revealed himself to him and he became ready at the age of 30 to do the marvellous things that he did for three years of powerful ministry, to die on the cross, to rise again and to save us from our sins. And it says in, in uh, somewhere in the Bible, it says in, little, it says in Luke chapter 2, 52, it says that Jesus grew, got it? He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. You see, his father was building his son on this earth to be ready to do what he had him here for. And it's exactly the same for you and me, God builds. He doesn't just have our lives and so We're not just here to make up the numbers, folks. We're here for a purpose. And God wants to build his life and his anointing and his power in and through us. God is a builder. He's not a destroyer. The destroyers identified, isn't it? The, the, the enemy comes to lie, cheat, destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life. The thief comes to heal, to kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. He wants to, but you know, he became a valiant fighter who performed great exploits. Exploits means mighty deeds. He did a lot of stuff, but that's what he became under the anointing of God. Church, we need to have that heart and that spirit that allows and values the fact that God builds up. We need to allow God to build us up and we need to encourage one another and build one another up. When there's an interaction between us, because we belong to Jesus, that we ought to go away better than when we came. Encouraged where we came in discouraged. Seeing a new perspective on a situation that we didn't see before given courage that you know in, in whatever is getting you down 
I want you to be built up in Jesus to have the faith to know that God's going to get you through that. That's why we're here. You know what the greatest commandment is? It's love the Lord your God with all your heart. But the other command is this, that you love your neighbor or each other. And the thing is this, it's impossible to really love God if you don't love each other. And we are here to build one another up. You know, sadly, sadly, there are, I've got to say it, there are many church situations that have been, that are, and that seem set on demolition. It happens, I'm being honest. Church situations where there's criticism, where there's a party spirit, where there are people who probably haven't made it at work and find that in the church they've got a bit of importance so they sort of push their weight around a little bit. I've got some being cynical there, I don't know. But the point is this, that this is not a place for politics or for agenda pushing or for pulling people down and it doesn't happen here and it won't. It will not because we will kill it. This is a place to build one another up. This is a place to serve one another. This is a place to encourage one another because God is not a God that destroys. God is a God who builds up. And I want that spirit of Benaiah, that spirit of Jesus, to build us up so that we are builders. You got that? We've got to be builders. We've got to build and be built. We're called to fight um, and be warriors. You know, these were violent days, and these sort of kind of um, accounts of people killing people, we don't have to do that, but these are accounts of what happened. But there are lessons in there for us to apply today. You see, we are called to be valiant fighters. Fighters for our families, fighters for that which is right, fighters for righteousness. And the bottom line is this. The fight that we have in our Christian life, it will involve people who oppose us, but behind it all, behind it all, there is a spiritual realm that we are called to, to fight and to slay and to defeat. That's why prayer is important. Bob already said that this morning. That we live in the world, but we do not wage war as the world does. That's what it says in Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We have the Holy Spirit in us that enables us to live for Jesus, to pray in his name, to choose what is right, to build one another up and to demolish the things that would pull us down. Forgive me if you've heard this story before, but when Judith went to her work. What happened? When we got married, she had to move from Derby. It was a beautiful school she was in in Derby. In fact, it was brand new. And she started off with one year. And she was the PE teacher there. She could form it and make it like she wanted to. It was perfect. And then she get married me. Talk about perfect. Um, but it involved her moving down here. And she went to, yes, Cheam High School. Now, Cheam High School's all right now. But in those days, oh my, it was a bit of a shock. It was a bit of a shock to the system after Michelover, or Littleover, Michelover, Michelover School. Um, and Judith 
used to hate this one particular lesson she had to do. She was a PE teacher, but she also got bunged in. Oh, you're religious, you can do RE. Oh, great, thanks very much. Because all teachers have to do with bits. They're not, you know. She was trained for RE as well, so that's fine. But these kids knew that they didn't have to do an exam. They knew that this was just an hour of messing about. They didn't really know my wife, did they? <laughs> but I remember she, she, she used to dread this, this lesson every week. Because it, it really took a toll on her. She used to come home really exhausted after this lesson because it was horrible. Because she had to put on a pretense that she was angry. So she used to wait outside the door. Pick up her bag. She was fine. But she opens it. She walks in. She gets her bag and slams it in her face. And all these kids are like, Suddenly, it all went quiet. Oh, no. And she sniffs in and moans. Do you know what? She thought about this. She thought, why on earth should I do this? What's this all about? It's wearing me out. It's not truthful. So what she used to do, before that meeting, before meeting, a typical Christian, isn't it? A meeting, a meeting, a lesson, right? Before that lesson, she used to pray and she said, Lord, I do not want this stress. I want to pray in the name of Jesus that you will quieten that down. Not whatever's causing those kids to be like that and wear me down, I'm not going to have it. And I pray peace upon them. And they were like little lambs. Yeah? It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. We have authority and we have power to deal with situations that will pull us down. So let's intentionally build one another up. Let's be committed to and operate an opposite spirit to the world in which we live in. Have you noticed our country is somewhat divided at the moment? In fact, loads of countries are divided. America's in a right mess, isn't it? You know, you either love him or you hate him. Who am I talking about? Um, I challenge you to listen to a news, a news bulletin without the word Brexit in it. You will not do it right now. And there are people who are vehement against it and who are vehement for it. And they were interviewing, <laughs> interviewing this fella um, who was a Brexit person um, out in the open on the news. I saw him. It was out on like the green at uh, Westminster. And there was this fellow with a top hat with a blue hat with gold stars on it and uh, with a placard and he kept moving around <laughs> behind, behind the camera, you know, behind the fellow who's been interviewed. Then the camera, ankle changed. <laughs> and so he came in. <laughs> and I thought it was quite funny. Anyway, but I thought, it doesn't that just show the division that there is? Do you know something? We are called to operate an opposite spirit to this world and show the world that actually... We can love one another. We can be united with one another. And I am not interested in the slightest whether you're Brexit or Remain. I want you to be a kingdom people. That's what it's about. Serving the kingdom of God in this world and in, in and through our church. Yeah, let's build one another up. Encourage one another, it says in Thessalonians. Build each other up. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my 
church and we're being built together as a spiritual house to contain his presence. But now I did three things in these verses that I'm briefly going to relate to you because you're interested. He was a mighty man of valor. His name means built up, build up, God builds. And the first thing we see, well, it's, it's not in order of it there, but I'm going to pick, do it in this order. First thing I want to mention is that he struck down an Egyptian. I've got nothing against Egyptians, by the way. But in that context, that Egyptian who came against God's people was a picture of the past. I think many of you will know that for 400 years, Israel lived in Egypt. It started off as a good thing because there was a famine and Joseph brought his family there. But during that time, it got worse. And by the time of Moses, the Israelites were in slavery. So Moses was called to bring them out of that slavery. And Joshua, a generation later, led them into their inheritance. Okay? It's a quick tracy of a part, big part of the Old Testament. You see, this man, this Egyptian, was a picture of the past. And I've said this quite a lot recently because I think it's really important, but our past lives actually have a formation effect upon who we are now. You see, we pick up um, values. We pick up behavior from our families, from our friends, from our past. I remember talking to this lady who was married to an Italian. And she was a very kind of prim and proper English lady. And her, and her husband, this Italian, was this loud, cornetto-eating, singing, go-comparing kind of guy. And when they went to his family, it was like frenetic. There was everybody there, and they were, Mama mia, and your mama makes a lovely pizza, and all this sort of stuff. And she's sitting there in the corner. My family aren't like this. And when he went to her family, it was all kind of very prim and proper. Would one like a crest sandwich? It wasn't quite that bad, but different. And they had to accommodate each other. Because they came, their pasts affected them. Now, in our lives, oh dear, in our lives, I'm sorry about that, that wasn't meant to be funny. In our lives, we have things that have conditioned us. And that's our past. Now, not everything in our past is bad. But everything in Christ becomes new. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I want you to know that whatever you have done, said, thought, or anything in your past life, when you brought it to Jesus to, for forgiveness, it was gone. There is no condemnation. And, and there's sometimes a bit of a, a temptation to allow things from the past in your mind to cast a great big shadow over your walk in the present. Does that make a sense? Make sense? You know it's gone, but suddenly there's this great big Egyptian with a great big spear who's seven foot five, seven foot six tall, casting a great big shadow over your life. And it needs to be dealt with because it doesn't belong. That's from the past. 
you know, shadows cast from the past. It could be lifestyle choices. People think it's actually acceptable to live our lives telling lies. If I tell a lie to my other half, that will keep the peace. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't. Bible tells us to walk in the light as he's in the light. Then we have fellowship with one another. And do you know what? If you want a lasting relationship, a lasting marriage, for goodness sake, be open, transparent, and speak the truth. Fess up to stuff. Because if you don't fess up to it, it will be found out. And that's where mistrust comes in. Yeah? If you want to be a good employee, be an honest, open one. In every area of our lives, there is no place for dishonesty, no place for defensive, there's no place for shadowy practices. God can't build with unreality. He's not impressed with the front that we try and put up. But as we repent and help ask God for help in a new way, God's grace will take away that big shadow. You see, what he did, he slew that Egyptian and that great big shadow was gone because he was laying on the ground. Do you know what? In the name of Jesus, you can slay through your choice, through your faith, through doing what you know God is asking you to do. You can take away a great big shadow from the past that will not be there. There was a there's an account of where Jesus was presented with a woman by these religious leaders who had been caught in the act of adultery. And the law says she should be stoned, they said. Well, Jesus said, right, the first, you know, he who's without sin, throw the first stone. And nobody, nobody did it. They all left her. And suddenly those who had accused her were gone. And it was just the woman and Jesus. And Jesus said, where, where are those that accuse you? He said, they've gone. They don't condemn me. He said, well, neither do I condemn you. But then he said this, go, but leave the life of sin that you've been living. You are forgiven, but walk in a new way. Do you think we should allow children into our church? I do. Okay, he slew an Egyptian. Moving quickly on, he also struck down two Moabites. And very briefly, the Egyptian was things from the past that try and hold us back. The Moabites are a picture of things that stop us from progressing. When the Israelites were heading towards the promised land, they came to the country of Moab, and the Moabites didn't like them. They were scared of them, and they just, they, so first of all, they got someone to come and curse them, a fellow called Balaam. And this fellow Balaam came and he was, they, were asked, they asked him, curse these people so that they don't do what their God wants them to do. And Balaam couldn't do it because he knew that God had blessed them. But then it got a bit more subtle than that. And it says in, in um, Numbers 25 that they seduced with sexual immorality and idolatry the people of Israel. They took them off the course of following God to their inheritance. And it caused no end of problems. Do you know what? Compromise, discouragement, opposition can stop us progressing 
but we need to take action about that and not allow those things to hold us back but to deal with the things that we know are blockages. Do you know, sometimes we know a situation. always makes me laugh when, when Wes said, uh, God, I can do anything with my life, but don't make me a pastor. There's trouble you're asking for there, mate. Because we have to give everything to God. And there are sometimes things in our lives that we know are wrong, but we keep kind of gloss, walking around them a little bit and glossing around, trying to accommodate them, and they will impede your future. Deal with them. Deal with them. Do you know many charismatic and talented and anointed people who have served God in the past have come to ruin through opposition and temptation? None of us can take that for granted. You know, when Joseph was being tempted by Potiphar's wife, it says he ran for it. And although he went through a tough time, God blessed him. Let's live for Jesus. Let's be faithful. And let's persevere. Let's persevere. Let's not give up. <sighs> let's fix our eyes on Jesus. And let's build our marriages, our relationships. Let's build the ministry that God's called us to. Let's build the church. Let's build what God has put within our lives. And the last thing, as I'm drawing to a close, is this. He not only killed an Egyptian, he's killed Moabites, he not only dealt with the past, he not only dealt with the things that were going to stop him moving on, but he, he did this weird thing. He went down in a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. How about that? That was an obstruction to the present. If you're in your house and there's a lion outside, what do you do? Stay indoors, mate. I mean, you just do, don't you? If you've ever been to Longleat, where the lions are, they say, take no risks and never, ever get out of your car. I, we went to Longleat, and I, I think it was Anna and Jerry went to Longleat. Do you remember the monkeys got on top of the, um, on top of the car and started ripping the rubber bits off? It wasn't my car, it was Alan's car, but he wasn't very happy about that. But he couldn't get out of the car to sort the monkeys out. And he certainly couldn't get out of the car to deal with the lions. You stay indoors. We need to ask ourselves in our spiritual Christian world, what keeps us indoors? What restricts us? What stops us and makes us afraid? I believe that God calls us to step out, take risks and serve him. But what keeps you indoors and restricts you is a lion. Do you know, we're called to deal with... I don't, now, I don't want you to go and wrestle a lion. Don't do it. You'll lose. But we are called to deal with lions of fear, lions of circumstance, and the things that hem us in. We're called to a spacious place in Jesus. We're called to freedom, not prison. And there are times when we are afraid to go outside because there's a lion out there. Now, I think in Proverbs it says, the sluggard says, I'm not going outside because there's a lion there. Well, you might think that's sensible. But actually, in the spiritual realm, we're called to deal with the things that hem us in. Benaiah went down into a pit on a snowy day and 
dealt with the lion. You know, who's the lion? Well, in 1 Peter 5, it says this, Be alert and sober in mind, because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. When we were at the Excel conference, we were hearing that Jesus is, also, is the lion and the lamb. Well, the enemy, Satan, is like a lion prowling around, and he will try and pull us down and restrict us. But it says, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So many of us are held back from fulfilling our life's purpose through caution and fear. We don't trust the fact that God has promised to never leave us or forsake us. We start to set out. You know, sometimes God will speak to us. And I, Lord, I know what you're saying to me. I'm going to do this. I'm going to open that door and I'm going to go outside. I'm going to do it. Then you hear the, Rawr, and you can shut the door again and go in. I'm not doing that because I'm scared. I'm not doing that because I might get eaten. It might not work out. I remember years ago when, when we were thinking about what God is going to do in our lives, Judith and I said, we've got to do this. We've got to do this. We start horizon. We've got to do it because if we never do it, we're always going to look back and say, what if we had done? I'm so glad we did it. I hope you are too because we took a risk, but it was great. Let's not be afraid. What, what happens if I get eaten? Well, give an indigestion. Benaiah confronted the present danger and the challenge. And he did two things. He went into a pit. Now that is commitment. <laughs> he, he didn't drive his car at him and try and run him over. He went outside and he went into a pit. Now if you're in a pit with a lion, only one of you is coming out because there's four walls in a pit and you are committed, committed once you've started. A uh, little story about years ago, one of my DIY projects was to fit a new toilet pan. Oh my goodness. And it, we had one toilet and a family and I needed to put a new toilet pan in. And I thought, right, I've got to do this. And I remember sort of tapping around a little bit it wasn't doing anything. I was kind of, oh, once I do this, in the end I got a hand went crack like that. There's a big hole in it. I was committed. I was totally committed because I had children, a family, and no toilet. In that one moment, the strike of the hammer or the chisel gave me total commitment to that particular, and I could not rest until I put a new toilet pan in. You hear all sorts of things at different times. But you know what? I had to face up to the fact, if this doesn't work, I've had it. And there are times in our lives when we have to commit ourselves and say, Lord, if you're, if, if you're not with me in this, if I'm not following what you want, it's, it's, it's you or nothing, Lord. And he went and did it on a snowy day. Can I just say that faith is risky? And if we never take risks as a church or as individuals, we will never make anything. And he did it on a snowy day. Oh dear. I just want to say this, that inconvenience and the desire to save by the fire must have been very big for him. There's a lion outside and it's snowing. 
Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll get in a pit with him and kill him. I just want to say that, do you know what? Our Christian discipleship and following him is not about convenience. It's about a commitment to him and to one another. Years ago, uh, uh, when I was at a church in Croydon, one of our, he was the church treasurer, Mr. Weatherly, lived in Patron. Patron's quite away from Croydon, and it was a horrible, snowy, icy night. And he didn't want to go out. But it was a prayer meeting. Prayer meeting, icy roads, cold building, fire, TV, cup of, cup of cocoa. Close, isn't it? He knew inside that he needed to get up, get out, and go. It wasn't nice. It wasn't convenient. But you know, that night when he went to that church meeting, he later gave a testimony, but he heard something there. He heard the voice of God that gave him exactly what he needed to know and change the course of his life. Isn't that powerful? Because he didn't do what was convenient. He did what was right. Do you know, our Christianity is not a hobby. Our meeting together isn't dependent on whether we feel like it or not. It's dependent on what, Lord, where would you have me to be? What am I here to do? Why, where, and what is your purpose for me? And let's not give up when it gets too difficult. You see, the lion was dealt with and the threat was taken away. It worked for Daniel as well. He ended up with lions, didn't he? And I just stumbled across this yesterday when Paul said to Timothy, the Lord stood at my side in, in all his problems and gave me strength so that through the message, through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles, Gentiles might hear it. And he says, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. I, don't, I haven't looked it up actually. I don't know whether that was a real lion or a spiritual lion. But let me tell you, God gives us the ability to slay the lions that are right there and stop us dead in our tracks. Jesus came down and was committed to coming into the pit of our world when it was costly and inconvenient and he dealt with the past, he secured our future because he engaged in the present when he went and died on the cross. I want to just bow our heads for a moment.